We're just trying to change the world here, people. Oh, really? Welcome back to Really Radio 161B side. This is for Trash Day. Recorded Friday, August 4th, 2017, where we dismantle the current events for your edutainment through mostly rational conversations that make you go really. I'm your Stanley Cowan, and I still got with me Daniel Atherton. Welcome back, guys. Okay, so um, we make mistakes. This is where we're probably going to make the biggest mistakes. So let us know about them at Overly Radio Podcast at gmail.com or text voicemail 470-0222-6759. Does anybody actually ever ever do the O, o thing? Because, you know, we in part of our it, speech, we always just like, you know. It, it's something that is transposed that. It's more of a, from my experience, the the O is more of an East Coast thing as opposed to West Coast and Northwest. It's more zero. I suppose. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be accurate, so I try not to say the O, but yeah. Uh, We are what we are. Okay, so thank you again to our Patreon supporters, Donald Davis, Melissa G., Henry, and, of course, Daniel Duncan from the Product Problem Addict podcast, debuting live August 13th. All right, so here's uh, here's our trash day stuff, and so Lone Star, now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. This is the uh, the Trump hour, basically. So, first off, Robert Mueller give moves for a grand jury, and not on Hillary this time. No, <laughs> this is not about her emails. Um, no, this is, this is the start of what I believe is a long process. Uh, we're going to have, uh, 23 jurors, because that's what a grand jury is. It's grand. Um, we're going to have, uh, a lot of subpoenas for a lot of evidence, a lot of testimony to, Get to sort through who's getting indicted and for what. Um, again, grand jury can be something as short as, "Hey, let's present you know two weeks worth of evidence to you, and then proceed with indictments." Or what I'm expecting in this case, something that can take up to two years, and it may or may not come down with a single indictment. You know, I'm going to have to look into what it means to be on a grand jury. Because there's jury duty. Yeah. But is there grand jury duty? I I am not familiar enough with, with the legal process to go fully into grand grand jury proceedings. Uh, but this is where you, this is where you can come down with being able to accuse an in, individual of committing a crime. This is when that is what it means to be indicted. It is meaning that the 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 government, the state, or if it's federal crimes, the nation is is prosecute is accusing you of breaking the law and bringing your your you to trial to find the truth of it. Apparently, um, because you know Google is is a, a, an available resource, uh, MSNBC came out with uh, six of your questions about grand juries. Uh, This was out in December 5th, 2014, around uh, 
Staten Island, New York, and Ferguson, Missouri, decided not to indict police officers in the deaths of the unarmed black folks. So that's yeah. what, uh, so it, it was a uh, it was topical then, and it's topical now. Oh, so yeah. what's the difference between a grand jury and a regular jury? A grand jury is uh, twelve to twenty three people uh, is a body that investigates criminal contact, federal, state, and county prosecutors utilize grand juries to decide whether probable cause exists to support criminal charges. So a grand jury is really an investigation team. It allows you to proceed with an investigation. It allows you to subpoena people for testimony in court. Um, That way, it's not just giving a deposition. It is, hi, you're in front of a judge and jury. You're being questioned. Um, hmm. And this this questioning process is not to prove the guilt of an individual, but is to prove that there is a case yeah. against an individual. Whereas uh, a regular jury, six to twelve people, also known as a petite jury, didn't know that. Here's only trial cases. A regular jury decides the facts. The judge presiding over the trial decides the law. So a petite jury decides in criminal cases whether the prosecution has proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. In civil cases, by a preponderance of evidence, which means at least 51%. In criminal cases, the decision must be unanimous as well. So it's it's interesting. It's a huge distinction between the two. Oh, oh yes. Huge distinction. Again, um, the, the, the old joke is you can indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> uh, that ham sandwich is guilty. Guilty, I say. Uh, though in this day and age, I have made the uh, unfortunate off-color joke that um, you can indict a ham sandwich just as long as that ham sandwich doesn't have a badge. But if that ham sandwich is on pumpernickel, you can probably indict it for murder. Uh, wow. That you've analogized yourself into a corner. So that's that's something. Okay, so uh, grand. How is a grand jury chosen? Um, how does that whole process work? So grand jurors are chosen from the same group of people as trial jurors. Okay, that's okay. That's special in that they're not special. When you receive notice for jury service, you could be called for either one. The jury will ask very few questions. Unlike when selecting a petite jury, oh, I'm sorry, the judge will ask very few questions, unlike when selecting a petite jury, when the judge and lawyers ask many questions. Uh, Do you remember what that's called? Uh, No, I do not. It's the voidir. Oh, voidir. Voidir. Grand jurors will only be excused for cause, meaning they cannot be fair and impartial. Uh, Of course, jurors in general are often excused for logistical reasons, scheduling, etc. Grand jurors are expected to serve anywhere from a month to a year on average. In most cases, it's a few months, and they sit a few days a week. Wow. Talk about something that's going to really cramp your style. And most of the time with grand jury, it's... In this case, I'm expecting it because... Of where Mueller's investigation can go, 
um, the the broad spectrum here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to take some time because there's a lot of discovery that needs to be put forth in front of this grand jury. Yeah, discovery uh, is the big thing about in all these cases. Because we already know that there is subpoenas on the way to both Kushner and Junior uh, over their meeting with the Russian lawyer. Mm-hmm. We know they're going to be subpoenaed, and they're going to have to testify. So that that in itself is is something that is noteworthy. And so we're going to actually get testimony, which means that later on, should there be indictments, if that testimony changes and or it they're found to be lying, that can also open them up to perjury charges. I think that they probably that's going to be one of the things that's definitely going to be on the table for them given that they've changed their story so many times. Well, this is where things, if they had a good lawyer, you go, don't incriminate yourself. Mm -hmm. The Fifth Amendment is there for a reason. Yeah. And honestly, just plead the damn Fifth. Uh, When in doubt, plead the fifth and certainly don't offer any more information than what is being requested of you no yeah. no just just plead the damn fifth yes it looks fishy to everyone but it is your right it is your right yep and it keeps things from being black and white yeah and as a reminder for those that that may be like what's the fifth amendment again because there's so many of them. The Fifth Amendment is your right to not perjure yourself, to not – self-incrimination. Yeah, self-incrimination. Yeah. Um, if your testimony would incriminate yourself to a crime, you, you can instead plead the Fifth. Yeah. Uh, grand juries hear cases from prosecutors all day long and all different types of criminal cases. Usually the cases are felonies. Grand jury physically sits in a college lecture type of room in the same building as the prosecutor's office. There is no judge present, just court officers and grand jury clerks. Prosecutors will come in, present evidence in the form of witnesses, documents, photos, and video and audio. This is done often over the course of a day, a week, or longer. In most cases, the accused has an opportunity not required by law, unlike a jury trial, to testify, but is only questioned by the prosecutor. The defense attorney cannot ask, cannot question, but the grand jurors can submit questions to the prosecutor to ask the witnesses. That's that's interesting. So the jurors yeah. really have a lot more, a lot Again, more say in this. It, it, but. Um, Part of this process is, in its own way, discovery, yeah. and and finding do do you have a reasonable idea that a crime has been committed, and by whom? Yeah. So at the close of evidence, and very similar to how juries go, um, you know, petite juries. That is, uh, yeah. have you ever served on a jury? No, and I don't think I ever will because I'm a son of a homicide detective. You'd be surprised. Um, I know that just my father being uh, 
my great aunt's nephew got her off of jury duty. Interesting. Well, I, I imagine that that case was uh, that was something germane to the case. Um, so, because it could be something completely different, and that, and they could actually both parties could want that kind of insight in the juror deliberation. Yes, but most of the time, those that have relations uh, with law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, also even tangentially with uh, firefighters, often are disqualified from the jury pool rather quickly. Yeah, it's true. But it all depends. It all depends. Um, at the close of evidence, the prosecutor reads the legal instructions and law to the jury. The grand jury may then vote an indictment, also known as true bill. This is quotes, true bill. To vote an indictment, you only need a quorum. For example, in the Ferguson case, quorum would have been nine out of the 12 grand jurors, and most grand jurors are 12 to 23 people. So it's interesting that the size varies. Well, from what I've been hearing with the coverage, this is probably going to err on the larger side. That way the quorum is larger. So it, it it it's it it is at least seen as a greater indictment. Yeah. So again, in looking at the Ferguson and Staten Island case, um, why did these cases go to grand jury instead of prosecutor charging the officers themselves? So when and why does a case go to the grand jury? That's the big question. So when a felony is committed, here is what can happen: without an arrest. You do not physically have the perpet- have the perpetrator or know who or who or she is. Evidence can be presented to a grand jury. The indictment is called a no arrest indictment, which forms the basis of an arrest warrant. So then the sub- the suspect is found and arrested. He or she has uh, found and arrested. He or she has already been indicted. Indic- indicated. This is terrible gra- grammar for MSNBC. You know, I know legalese usually uh, kind of lacks a lot of the the flow, the, the pentameter of the English language in favor of its other more obscure roots. But uh, yeah, this is kind of rough. Um, okay. After a person is arrested, the case is immediately, within a week, unless time is waived, uh, presented to a grand jury. Of course, in in this case where we're talking about uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, I suppose. Uh, again, I don't expect treason. Them to, I don't expect the treason thing to come down unless something really dark comes to light. I do see obstruction of justice. Yeah, being, that's pretty clear. Being and. But there that's might. what took down Nixon. Yeah. It, that was obstruction is, of justice. Yeah. It is likely that obstruction of jar- justice charges would be the most likely thing, in my opinion, to come out of this grand jury for an indictment. Um, again, an indictment is not necessarily like with a petite jury, you know, they're guilty. No, it's just that they may be guilty, this should go to trial. Yeah. I think the last one here, um, I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, when when does the case go to a grand jury? When there is no arrest, you know who the perpetrator is, 
and the case is presented to a grand jury. The arrest only occurs if the grand jury indicts. So that that's probably what's going to happen. I'm I'm thinking probably better than better than average odds that it's going to happen. I I I don't know. I don't know who is going to be indicted. That's the bigger thing. Yeah. Um, and on what charges? Because mm-hmm. again, Mueller has been given broad range of powers and the ability to, in the inve- course of his investigation, if he finds other forms of wrongdoing, he can pursue those avenues. What are the requirements for a grand jury to decide to indict someone? <laughs> the only requirement is that probable cause exists to support criminal charges against the accused person. And this is where the ham sandwich joke comes in. Probable cause. That ham sandwich killed that man. Yes, you can indict a ham sandwich. Hmm. In essence, the grand juror must feel there is enough evidence against the person to proceed to trial. It's a very low standard. You could have one witness, a victim come in and testify without any corroborating physical evidence and get an indictment. Yeah. This is rare, but it does occur in some cases of sexual assault with victims who don't approach authorities until many years after the incident. Like Mr. Cosby. Also, as we we have seen where the article comes from, Mm -hmm. is for prosecutors who are having to prosecute Oh, it says indict a ham sandwich here. Yeah. It actually says that. <laughs> it, it's it's an old saying. Yeah. Um, an old American saying. New York Judge Sol Wachler once famously said that a grand jury would indict a ham sandwich. Yeah. Um, no, you – what this is – not in this case, but often in our current climate is prosecutors who do not necessarily want to go ahead and prosecute the – a, a law enforcement officer who has done something clearly questionable, um, they bring their case before a grand jury and softball it. Yeah. And if the jury doesn't bring down an indictment, well, obviously there wasn't a strong enough case there, and the DA can wash their hands clean. Yeah. Like with regards to police officers, they have a qualified immunity. Qualified immunity. It's the bunny ear statement right here, Sam. Uh, and since police, since the police department is an agency of the prosecutor's office, there's an inherent conflict of interest. Imagine trying to indict your boss, colleague, or sibling. Oh, look, that's almost exactly what we're doing with the with the case of of Trump. But that's why we have a special prosecutor right. involved. Yeah. Okay, so that was uh, that's an interesting interesting road down that, and I'm sure that we're going to hear more oh, about how how grand juries work. We're going to get we are getting so much knowledge out of this administration about how the system works and how broken it is. Um, <laughs> and you're going you're going to learn even more. Yeah, folks. Um, and this is going to be slowly and progressively covered as it happens. Uh, I'm certain we will have more for you when both 
uh, Donald Jr. and Kushner actually testify. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, uh, let's see, what else has, has come about this week? Just in, in this, you know, just scrolling down, it's like, oh, well, um, he signed the sanctions against Russia. Trump signed the yes, sanctions against Russia. Yes, with a, a signing statement, which is the, mm-hmm. the, the right and privilege of, of the president. And is many times a way for a president to express caution or displeasure with something that they know that they need to sign because if it goes back, if they veto it, yeah. it goes back and they overrule the veto so the president looks immensely weak. But having a signing statement, you you, you sign the law, you don't look weak, but you – Put it on the record that you weren't in favor of this bill. Right. Hmm. Yeah, he said that the legislation was seriously flawed. Uh, it makes it harder for the United States to strike good deals for the American people. Um, no. I know. Really. Yeah. In, in, in this case, uh, I, I, I firmly – oh, surprisingly – I firmly disagree with the Republican president. Um, there you go. Nice. Nicely put. The <laughs> Do I necessarily agree with the kind of sanctions that are being lobbied at Russia? Not entirely because there are tangentially other nations that are in the crosshairs due to those sanctions. Yeah. Um, and we're going to feel the ramifications of that. Uh, I think they should have been a bit more discerning with their sanctions, but I'm glad that at least they've come down. Uh, and it makes it so that Trump has less ability to wheel and deal with Russia. <sighs> this is a mess, but that's putting it mildly. But the, the the Russia and sanctions situation is a mess, but it is a mess that we're going to have to suffer through until either this administration is out of office or miracle miracles, this administration all of a sudden becomes wise. Wow, you really – that's – man, that's a long shot and a half. Oh, I know, but it's still on the table. A point zero 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 three percent chance is still a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, but wow. Slim, slim and shady. Okay. So, moving right along. Uh, the, the American president's phone follies. So apparently um, transcripts got out. Oh, yeah. We got a beautiful leak. Yeah. More leaks. So, we talked at length uh, once upon a time. Yes, about his phone calls with with mm-hmm. the the Australian Prime Minister and the President of Mexico, and about how those calls did not necessarily go as the president would have liked. Um, oh no, he had a bad day. Yes, yes, he did. Um, this is going to kill me. It puts me in a bad position. It makes me look so bad. I have only been here a week. 
boy, that will make us look awfully bad. This deal will make us look terrible. This shows me to be a dope. I look like a dope. It's bad for me. It's horrible for me. This is a killer. I'm going to get killed on this thing. It will be seen as a weak and ineffective. I will be seen as a weak and ineffective leader in my first week. It's embarrassing to me. Yes, all of that and more, sir. Those were all direct all excerpts. Trump quotes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that wow. is that is just excerpts from those two conversations. Um, you can find. This uh, on the Washington Post. I'm certain you can probably find the full transcripts somewhere on our beautiful interwebs. Um, but in his in his conversation oh my God. with Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto, um, he, he's going, you know, imploring the Mexican leader. To stop saying that his government would never pay, you just cannot say that to the press. Um, and even though clearly they're not ever going to pay. No, and, <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing: here, the the funding quote will work out in the formula somehow. Quote Trump uh, later adding, quote, it will come out in the wash, and that's okay. If you're going to say that Mexico is not going to pay for the wall, then I do not want to meet with you guys anymore because I cannot live with that. The least important thing we are talking about, but politically, this might be the most important. And that is in reference to the wall. That damn wall. Wow. Uh, In Mexico City, uh, there's a bit of a reaction, of course, to now seeing what their president had said. Uh, So... Even in a country where politics is commonly called surreal and where embarrassing phone calls by politicians are often filtered to the media, one popular Mexican radio host compared the January phone call to a Saturday Night Live skit. Others complained that Trump was using tough talk to threaten the Mexican leader as if he were a Trump employee. Whew. Um... The Mexican president appeared patient throughout the call, winning some rare praise from a population unhappy with his presidency. He politely told Trump again that Mexico would not pay to build a wall on the U.S.-Mexican border. My quote, my position has been and will continue to be very firm, saying that Mexico cannot pay for the wall, he told Trump. That's just a reality. Um, our realities that are coming out about this damnable wall is that Homeland Security is going to bypass uh, envir- Im- environmental impact laws in the pursuit of building this wall. Trump also boasted that he could make Peninita so popular that he could get lawmakers to change the Mexicans' constitution so that he could seek re-election. Which is ridiculous, unfounded, and a dumb claim to make. Oh, it's completely unrealistic, but doesn't that also have implications of... Meddling with a foreign power, yes. And their elections? Yes. Yes, all, all that... Oh my god, it's right there! No, he's perfectly willing to do these things. Yep. Perfectly willing. 
Oh my god. It's just... It's painful to read, folks. It's painful to read, and then as you realize, oh wait, this isn't just like a Monty Python sketch, this is actually the president, then it gets really surreal and sad. Uh, it keeps going. I mean, we get excerpts from Turnbull conversation uh, where Turnbull was, in, in all accounts, patient and gracious again. He mm-hmm. didn't need to be. He didn't have to be, but he was. And Trump was, well, at very best, cranky. <laughs> I've been... I have been making these calls all day, and this is the most unpleasant call all day. Putin was a pleasant call. This is ridiculous. Uh. Uh, White House has declined to comment. An official familiar with both conversations who refused to speak on the record because the president's calls have not been declassified said the president is a tough negotiator who is always looking to make the best possible deals for the American people. The United States has many vital interests at stake with Mexico, including stopping the flow of illegal immigration, ending drug cartels reach into our communities, and increasing border security, renegotiating NAFTA, and reducing a massive trade deficit. Except that I don't think that trade deficit actually exists. Um, there are, again, I mean, there it are depends trade, on which numbers you look at, I suppose. Yeah, the trade deficits are by degrees, and if you, you want to get into a very interesting and long lore hole, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, the importance actually of trade deficits um, and trade in general. If you are the hegemon, you are a superpower. It is somewhat in your benefit to have a trade deficit with somebody else because it shows that you are investing in that foreign nation and it brings them to the negotiating table more often than not for other things that come up in our global community. So you, you run this trade deficit so that when something comes up, you can go, hey, could you give us troops if we need to fo- form a coalition army? Yeah. Or, hey, will you give us aid if we're facing a crisis? And it allows us to have a gracious conversation. It's actually an important cornerstone of diplomacy when you're the biggest guy in the room. The We've called him a narcissist before. Many people have. Yeah. This little segment of the conversation with Malcolm Turnbull, Prime Minister of Australia. This is going to kill me, he said to Turnbull. I'm the world's greatest person that does not want to let people into the country, and now I'm agreeing to take 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's not about the people at all. It's about what they symbolize to him, yeah. to his image. It's disgusting. You know, I, I would I would like to point out to people that this is a, a very clear indicator that he does not actually care about people other than himself. Yeah. He does not care about 
the American people. He does not care about the constituents. He cares about people liking him. And apparently, yeah, no. for all the wrong reasons, really. Yeah, uh, for a quote with that conversation in Turnbull, I hate taking these people. I guarantee you that they are bad. That is why they are in prison right now. They are not going to be wonderful people who go on to work for the local milk people. That's apparently a direct quote. The local milk people? Yeah. Uh, is Are there a lot of milk people? I mean, my family is dairy farmers, but I don't think that that's what he – is that what he means? I have I I, I, I have no idea. I can continuing on. Trump became more more irritating and accused the refugees of being able to become the Boston bomber in five years. Uh, I think it is a horrible deal, a disgusting deal that I would never have made. As far as I'm concerned, that is enough, Malcolm. I have had it. <sighs> wow. Just I mean, it's it's an amazing insight. Oh yeah, and this actually leads me to a a thing that's been plaguing me all week. Is just from a political strategy standpoint, mm-hmm. morality entirely aside. Being a child of, of of the '90s, yeah. The Republican Party likes to think of itself as the Christian Party and the Family Party. And when you you hold those banners high, that means when you do something that contradicts that, as a smart political opponent, you go after it. Yeah. So, just looking back on everything, where are the attack ads? Where are the attack ads going after the Republicans' behavior that contradicts their stances on being the family first party and the Christian party? I mean, you can just run the Beatitudes along the side with some really nice, deep voice acting narration. And then could probably get James Earl Jones for this one. And then run against it every every single thing that the Republicans have voted on that hurts the poor. Where are the attack ads? The stuff writes itself. Going back to the election. That, that gift on a silver platter, if you were a political strategist, of that video excerpt of Grab Them by the Pussy. Well, Where was clearly, the attack ad? Clearly, when they go low, we go high, was Screw her, that. Was her <laughs> sentiment. Nick, there's a reason a man like Karl Rove exists. <laughs> yes. He is referred to as the Axeman, and he is the guy who likes to swing for the fences with negative attack ads. And you know what? They work. Oh, they do. They absolutely do, especially on people that are the supporting base for the Republican Party. And Because you know, they're visceral. They're emotional. That's, yeah, that's what they react to. Where was the emotional appeal? Where was the negative ads? Oh, the, 
the emotional appeal of Hillary's campaign was non-existent. And, but I'm still seeing a lack of emotional appeal within the DNC right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no life to it. No, there's zero life to it. And we keep getting story after story, attack ads that would write themselves here, given to you on a silver platter, and we are seeing from the Democratic leadership a just incompetence. It has gone beyond the point of a lack of will or trying to hold to some sort of moral high ground. It it has gotten to the point of negligence and incompetence. Well, you know what? She did try one, and that was by calling them deplorable. And that blew up in her her face. But that's the thing. That's not part of the smart political strategy. Rove understood this. You don't have your candidate attack the candidate. You have ads attack the candidate. That way you can say that your candidate is clean, that they are not nasty. Uh, and a level of separation. Yeah. Yes. You need to have that level of separation. We have political action communi- committees for this reason. It is a political strategy. That's why we have political action committees. It allows the 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 actual candidate to still remain clean mm-hmm. in the eyes of the public. They ran a clean campaign. It was it was just some random pack that was running those ads. It had nothing yeah, to do with her. Where, or them, or whoever they were. Where in the world were the attack ads? Where in the world are the attack ads now? You have, again, f- just a, a series of bad behavior from the opposite side of the aisle on the very things that they say they champion, why are you not attacking them? Why are you not using proper rhetoric to go, no, these people are frauds. Here is why. Yeah. yeah you, you make a fantastic point. I, I, have, I have no counters to it. That is what should be happening. The fact that it's not happening is very is very telling. No, it's they, just, they have no interest in winning. I don't understand it. Yeah, no, you you have the, again in the nineties, everybody ran attack ads on every side. It is a a political weapon that everybody uses, and they use it with surgical precision. That is what you're supposed to do. And part of the reason why W won was because of his attack ads against Kerry and against Gore. Yeah. But again, I guess the the DNC, you know, we've we've talked about it before, so we'll rehash a little bit. The DNC holds itself to a standard that is unattainable. And that's the kind of, of mudraking that they don't want to be involved with. Because a, a Democrat cannot be a Republican. The way that they behave is anathema to the way a Democrat, just by the book, operates. And it's so counter to it so counter to everything that they are that they don't understand why it works for them. 
It's like, why is that working? That doesn't work on me. They have their heads so far up their own ass that they can't see that it does work on everyone else, on the voters. Yeah, no. A, a Emotional appeals work. They've worked for time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Rhetoric is a thing. Use the weapon. But then they won't like us because then we're being mean. We're being just like them. But if there's truth in the attack... Yeah, you're not running false ads. Yeah, I mean, oh, as you said, they write themselves. This entire presidency is an SNL sketch. Again, with, maybe Second City. With no, Second City's funnier. <laughs> um, but no, just just going back with that that entire excerpt of him essentially going yes i fully endorse sexual assault and it should have been completely disqualifying it it, but the only way you make it disqualifying is by making sure that it is on every single radio station every local tv station at during the local news and you run it twice during you know american idol okay you make sure that those ads are in front of the American public and it is part of their minds and how they associate with that candidate. You you make it so that that is what they are associated with, like freaking potato spelling and Dan Quayle. You yeah. make it a part of that person's per- public persona. Yeah, but – man, misspelling potato – is a far cry from, from sexual sex- assault. Yeah. A far cry. So there's something else at play. Especially given that as soon as the deplorable thing happened, as, as soon as the, the grim by the pussy thing happened, all that, they embraced the hate and used it. The Republican Party is better at this. I still said if you ran the attack ads and you actually... Oh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that attack ads wouldn't work. I'm saying that on on particular things, like those two issues on the, on their own, they own them in ways that the, re, that the Democrats are completely incapable of doing or even fathoming. You know... Certainly, that secured many people in that, no, I'm not voting for that guy. Yeah, but that's because they knew about it. It was everywhere. The grab by the pussy thing was everywhere. I mean, that was, that was, that's a Howard Stern thing. I mean, the, come yeah, on. But, but, at, but at the same point, while it was everywhere, it didn't become a part of their daily mantra. Attack ads become more effective the longer you run them. That's true. Because That's true. it becomes something that you associate with the individual. And you have to that, continuously associate it negatively, whereas yes. they were continuously associate, associating it positively. Or apologetically. Yeah. It, it, it became this entire thing. Well, oh, look at him, how he's evolved. Oh, Look that's how not PC he is. Yeah, no, no. They, they were able to to take and repeat their message without having a counter. Yeah. And their spin again, doctors are good. But you have when you get a gift like that. Yeah. 
uh, going back to again, DNC must have a very short men- memory. They Folders do. of women, binders. It was binders of women. B- binders of women. That was an attack ad that was run. The, also, that forty-eight mm-hmm. percent uh, thing. That was an attack ad that was run. Yeah, Mother Jones article that came out and everything. Just, just repeat, repeat, repeat. Kept yeah. pounding, pounding it. It was on your radio. It was on your TV. It was on your Facebook dashboard. It was in your face. It was part of your daily life. And it was an Obama win. The Hillary campaign is inept. The Hillary DNC, which is what we end up ended up with now, can't do it. I don't understand it. They do not have the will to win. Well, and the thing is, even with, when Bill was running, what was the attack ad against uh, Senior back then? It was, read my lips, no new taxes. And then mm-hmm. running up against him, hi, how high are your taxes now? Yeah. And just pounding it and pounding it and pounding it, yeah. showing that your president is a liar. Yeah, it's the same thing with the with the Obamacare. You can keep your doctor. Yeah, and that was that was an attack ad that was really playing well. It's still playing. Yeah, it's still there. It's part yeah. of the legacy of hatred, and, and mm-hmm. as as noted by a number of historians and even people within the DNC and within the Democratic Party, one of Obama's greatest failures was saying you could keep your doctor. Yep. Or if you've got a plan that you like, you can keep your plan. Your premiums will not go up. I don't think he ever said that your premiums would not go up, that you could keep your plan, yes. Yeah, I, it was um, you keep your plan. I, I, yeah. I think the, you were correct, yeah. The, the problem, of course, in that is that he did not expect the insurance companies to be quite as despicable as they are. Well, because they offer he didn't I don't think he really realized how many people loved their shitty plans. It was cheap. Yeah, they're all all the plans that got erased were the plans that did not meet the minimum. They were horrible plans, catastrophic care only, not enough to actually do any good for you. Only if you happen to be hit by a car would they prevent total collapse of your life. And only then maybe. Yeah, and barely, if at all. And that those were the plans that people wanted. I don't understand that either, but I have a couple friends that that is the plan that they want. Because it won't happen to me. Well, they're, they're, they're gambling. They're gambling with their own lives. I, I, I can tell you, folks. Yeah. As someone who was injured by by a, a prank. No, it will happen to you. Just maybe not today. Yeah. Now, I hate insurance. I really do. Because it's legalized extortion. Well, it's also... In many ways. Capitalism does not work in healthcare. No. A free market has no place in healthcare because a free market is there to make profit. How do you make profit? You deny sick people and you deny the elderly. You do not take risk. Free well, market is averse to risk. Well, it's super simple. 
to make money, you collect the money, and you don't spend it. So by having people that are sick that would need the benefit back, if you get rid of them, then you don't have to pay the money. I mean, it's it's a simple follow-the-money equation. Yeah. So they want peop- they want healthy people that are never going to need their services. That's how they survive. But those healthy people are also what will prop up an insurance program to allow other people to get sick in the first place. Yes, but still, these companies yeah. are risk-averse, and they're there to make profit. They're not there to help people. No. That is not their design. No, there is a corporate reason- America, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why here in Florida, Humana has a reputation of murdering people. Yeah. Okay? You you have companies that have reputations where they, they are killing people because it keeps them more money. Mm-hmm. All right? We are the only developed nation on this planet that has a multi-payer system. Everybody else has moved to single-payer, and that's because in a single-payer system, while you may have higher wait times, it means that you're actually caring about the wellness of your population. It also means that you can spend more on preventative care and spend less of your nation's GDP on health care. A healthy population can work more. They are not then out of the workforce because of health problems. You're also more productive. Yeah. There's a reason why Germany is getting into – has this economic resurgence and was able to actually use austerity practices during the big crunch because their economy and, and their people were so healthy and robust that they could actually take the hit and not spend themselves – out of the problem, which is how you do it when you do not have a robust economy. You have to spin your way out. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you just fail. Look at Greece. Um, Greece is an amazing case study that we'll be looking at for centuries. Yeah. If we no, live that long. You, you, if, if you're weak, you have to spin your way out. If you're strong, you can practice austerity and bounce back. But it's only a case for the strong. And right now, while we are one of the most robust economies, we can't really take a hit without, you know, cataclysmically affecting the lives of millions. That's true. Absolutely true. So uh, to go back, we were talking about the president's phone follies, which came from a leak. Yeah. So the leaks... Apparently, uh, investigation into leaks has tripled since the uh, since 45 took office. So the U.S. Department of Justice looks to be going after the journalists and their sources now. Yes, which in its own way is a violation of the First Amendment. Yes. So this was out on Reuters. Um, yep, and it's being covered by multiple outlets. Uh, I know NPR has been following this. Uh, uh, Deadspin's been following this. There's a lot of people following this specific story because U.S. attorney and house elf Jeff Sessions um, 
Yes. <laughs> yes, the, the Keebler elf himself. Yes. Uh, uh, has taken up an issue that has infuriated 45 and went on the attack against leaks this Friday, today, warning of a possible crackdown on both reporters and their sources inside the federal government. Um, Session said the administration was reviewing policies on forcing journalists to reveal their sources, which is like the hallmark of our freedom of press. Which, um, in the show notes, you will find a link under this story to an overview of the First Amendment by Cornell Law. Let's see. And uh, the third third section there is freedom of speech, freedom of the press. The most basic component of freedom of expression is the right of freedom of speech. The right to freedom of speech allows individuals to express themselves without government interference or regulation. Supreme Court requires the government to provide substantial justification for the interference with the right of free speech, where it attempts to regulate the content of the speech. Generally, a person cannot be held liable, either criminally or civilly, for anything written or spoken about a person or topic, so long as it is truthful or based on an honest opinion and such statements. Uh, scrolling down a little bit, despite popular misunderstandings, the right to freedom of the press guaranteed by the First Amendment is not very different from the right to freedom of speech. It allows an individual to express themselves through publication and dissemination. It is part of the constitutional protection of freedom of expression and does not afford members of the media any special rights or privileges not afforded to citizens in general. But mm-hmm. to to go to Amendment One as it is written, because we we like to go over you know our Constitution on a fairly regular basis in this show. Yep. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of of grievances. That is Amendment One. Yep. Now, specifically, the press is called out in this. Yes. Specifically. So, as a hallmark, our founding fathers understood that the press was necessary as. You've said many times the fourth estate. Yes. To keep in check the other three being the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Well, also, going back to the the original idea of the fourth estate, it was to hold the nobility, the churches in in, in check, um, and, and those who were of the middle class. They, they were to be able to hold a mirror up to society and and shine truth for the whole of the populace to understand. And this is why the leaks are important. This is why protecting sources are important because it allows for a freedom of information that the public desperately needs. This is an interesting one because Cornell Law then cites some references down at the bottom. 
Near versus Minnesota, 1931, the definition from Nolo's Plain English Law Dictionary. U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court ruled that prior restraint on publications is a violation of free speech and free press. In doing so, the court struck down a state law that allowed the police to confiscate publications that were malicious, scandalous, or obscene. The case involved a virulently anti-Semitic pamphlet. But that's that's interesting, and oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jeff Sessions, go ahead, attack it, because even your strict the the Supreme Court, even the ones that are the originalist style, yes, are going to look at this and say it says freedom of the press. What the hell mm-hmm. are you doing? It's right there. I don't even have to interpret it. It says right there, Amendment 1, the press. Why are you even here? (laughs) It's... May you live in interesting times. It is being seen by most that his his statement today was not actually going to make any major difference except for in hopes from the White House of being able to cool the leaks because it would cause fear amongst the press and the leakers. Well, the guy that was going after the leakers the hardest, the mooch, got canned. So, well, we'll and, see. And we, we've briefly talked about this before. The leaks are going to continue. Yeah. Because this is the way that you get stuff in front of the eyes of the president. Is It has to end up in the press because he doesn't want to read bad news. Yeah, it has to show up on Fox and Friends. Otherwise, he's not going to know it's there. No, it, it needs to be something that his administration gets dogged about. Otherwise, he won't address it. So, I don't I don't watch Fox and Friends, but do you think that the farmer bro being found guilty ended up on uh No, because even even Fox did not like this guy. <laughs> um again, Yeah, we're talking about Martin Skrilly, the the farmer bro yeah. dude. No, he he again, for a good while there, he held the title of most hated man in America. World. I think he was globally the most hated man. Um, Certainly and, in the United States, but everybody loves a villain to hate. Now, the funny thing is, in 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 his little press snippet after the the rulings came down, he saw this as a win. Him going to jail, he saw this oh, as a win. No, no, that he was just found guilty of three of the eight counts being lobbied against him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um. So yeah, no, it, it's he was acquitted on five charges, but of the three guilty charges that were read, he faces up to twenty years in prison. The legal experts say he is likely to be sentenced for much less. Surprise, surprise! A white man going to jail over a white collar crime. Uh, um, the jury's de- decision following five days of deliberations did not 
gave either side the clear victory they wanted, but was certainly humbling for Scarelli, who had boasted that prosecutors would have to apologize to him when the case was over. Um, Scarelli's lack of contrition and the way he cut people to the bone with his words no doubt evinced anger in the jurors that Scarelli's defense team simply could not overcome. No, I, I, I loved his defense team because in opening remarks, they mentioned that th- this may be a deplorable man. You may have every reason to hate him. Oh, yeah, that's the classic. That's the classic when you know that you're that you're representing a scumbag. You know? <laughs> but, that, but that is not necessarily a reason to find him guilty. Yes, he's a terrible man. But did he actually break the law? Yeah. Well, on three of the eight counts, they said uh, that he on, did. on three of the eight counts of <laughs> securities fraud, he he has been found guilty. Um, now, this man has a massive amount of wealth, though we do not know how quickly he is burning through that. Um, An hour after leaving the courtroom, Scurley was back where he feels more comfortable, at home, in a room full of music equipment, where he live-streams his life. I think I can get probation. I think there's a decent chance, he said with a beer in his hand, and still wearing the polo shirt and glasses he wore to court. I think we're going to end up appealing this. I'm going to talk about this with my lawyers. His cat, named Trashy, made regular appearances in the background. His cat named Trashy. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I don't like it. Just on the face of it, I don't like that either. Yeah, no, but he will he will probably appeal. Um it will take more time. The interesting to follow thing to follow here is what the sentencing will be. I am personally hoping for jail time. Yeah, me too. At least some. Uh, I won't hold my breath. Because, again, this is a man who has money, and money is power. Speaking of money and power, the Secret Service uh, is not not very happy with Donald Trump or, and the Trump Organization, Trump Inc., if you will. Because um, apparently they're not getting very good uh, favorable deals on their lease agreements to protect the first family. Well, again, the, it is the job of the Secret Service to, uh, on top of you know, protecting the president day to day, they also protect his residence, mm-hmm. whatever that current residence is, and his listed current residence is Trump Tower. Trump Tower in Manhattan. Per the Washington Post, the Secret Service has vacated its command post inside Trump Tower in Manhattan, following a dispute between the government and President Trump's company over the terms of a lease for the space, according to two people familiar with the discussions. Previously, the Secret Service had stationed its command post, which houses supervisors and backup agents on standby in case of an emergency, in a Trump Tower Unit 1 floor below the president's apartment. But in early July, the post was relocated to a trailer on the sidewalk more than 50 floors below, a distance that some security experts worry could hamper the agency that protects the president's home and family. 
No, really? Fifty but floors? It, but this Do they have jetpacks? But this was something where again <sighs> Trump is using his time in the presidency to enrich himself. Yeah. And this dispute with the Secret Service is a part of that. And this is also another one of those, well, since David's not here, let me grab my tinfoil. <laughs> tinfoil hat on. Um, is, again, the Secret Service has not been a fan of President Trump. Um, they may like they may like going to some of these wonderful resorts and places, but at the same time, there are a number of people who find his treatment of the office to be disdainful. Oh, you mean like when he publicly called, well, not publicly, but to his paying um, uh, guests. Golf club members. Yes. yes. Called the White House a dump. Yeah. Um, and that while they respect their their jobs within the Secret Service, it is hard for them to protect this man. And now it is much harder to protect this man, his family, and his property. He's on vacation? He is going for a 17-day vacation. A 17-day vacation. Yes, in his first year, um, and he is going to his his golf club up in Jersey, um, and I believe at this point um, he has within eight months, by the end of this this seventeenth month vacation, uh, taken more time off than President Obama did. In a number of years of his presidency? According to the Washington Post, this was not hard to find. Um, let's see, where is the number? It's in there. Oh, uh, by the end of August, Trump will have spent three times as many days at leisure as Obama. Three times. Oh, there's a chart <laughs> with little golf people in it. Okay, hang on. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, Just like yeah, that. there, there you go. You might want to go ahead and pull I'm that one up. Take a look. Yeah, this is rich. I can uh, I can pull this up here too. Let me. Uh, I'm going to make your face go away for a moment. There we go. That's fine. So take a look at this. Leisure time of two American presidents. <laughs> so we got Obama on one side. Sorry, it's a little cut off, but... Um, yeah. It's... Wow. Just stunning. That's so much golf. Between these two men, Yes. I mean, August is a, is apparently a popular uh, popular vacation time. Yeah, I can see that. But but uh, it's also when often when Congress is on vacation as well. Look at all these four day weekends. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
crazy. <laughs> and Donald Trump in 2012 said, who else could take 16 vacations, play over 100 rounds of golf, and hold over 300 fundraisers while serving as president? Um, apparently him. He could. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the work ethic uh, that that he's espousing here. In 2011, yeah. Barack Obama played golf yesterday. Now he heads to a 10-day vacation in Martha's Vineyard. Nice work ethic. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's see. That 10-day that vacation right there. Oh, look, yeah. a 17-day vacation in the same month. But he is titling this a working vacation. They're all working vacations when you're the president of of the United States. You're always working. You're just somewhere else. But if you are swinging a golf club, you are not doing the work of the nation. No. <laughs> and there's an awful lot more holes of golf being played by Mr. Trump. Uh, actually, uh, Newsweek in their next uh, cover uh, has fired a warning shot into the bow of the Trump administration. Oh, by, that's by less having, of a warning shot then. Having a hit Trump uh, placed in a uh, reclining chair with a remote and some snacks with the title Lazy Boy. Well, that'll do it, won't it? Um Nice. Nice. Okay. So that's that's fun. You have to look forward to Newsweek this, folks. You might want to pick up a copy. Yeah, might want to might want to get that one. Okay. And lastly tonight, we've got Benjamin Netanyahu suspected bribery and fraud. Yes. Taking it international here. Oh yeah, and I have to I have to find at least something. Um and currently with a lot of former uh, Israeli soldiers now going. Things aren't 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 so well with how how we're treating Palestinians, uh, and a lot of that has Shocking. been been under Netanyahu's watch. Um, but yeah, apparently there has been a crimes of involving fraud, breach of trust, and bribes in two corruption cases. Israeli police revealed this Thursday. Um, but we're only getting really news about this here in the States today. Police have been questioning Netanyahu for months over the case, but have released few details. A gag order was released Thursday night on the reporting. The details of talks that are underway to enlist a state witness. Boy, it sounds like grand juries just all over the place. Yeah. Um, Police said in a statement that Ari Haro will serve six months of community service and pay a fine of 7,000 shekels. 700,000 700, shekels. shekels, which is about 193,000 U.S. dollars for his involvement in a separate corruption case, apparently a lighter than expected sentence in exchange for testimony. Hmm. That's called plea bargaining. Yeah. 
One investigation dubbed File 1000 reportedly concerns claims that Netanyahu improperly accepted lavish gifts from wealthy supporters, including Australian billionaire James Packer and Hollywood producer Arnon Milchan. Uh, the second investigation, File 2000, uh, reportedly <laughs> concerns Netanyahu's attempted, alleged attempts to strike a deal with publisher Arnon Moses of uh, Yediat Oronot's newspaper group to promote legislation to weaken Yediat's main competitor in exchange for more favorable coverage of him by Yediat. Um, the U.S.-born Harrow has been under investigation for the past two years for fraud and other crimes regarding the sale of his consulting company while working as a chief staff. Oh, my. Whew. Those are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, after eight years in office, in addition to an earlier term in the 1990s, Yahoo has garnered an image of as a cigar-puffing, cognac-drinking socialite who is as comfortable rubbing shoulders with international celebrities as he is making deals in Parliament. His wife, Sarah, has been accused of abusive behavior towards staff. Oh, scandals have long dogged the couple over their lavish tastes, and opponents have portrayed both as being out of touch with the struggles of average Israelis. Ah, yes. Well, that's... This is one to keep following, folks. Illuminating. Yeah, because, you know, they have nuclear weapons. Yeah, and... So, they matter. One of the things that I just, as a narrative, that I think it's important for all of us to be aware of right now is the the disillusion of trust in world leaders as well as governments uh, looking to Brazil yeah. uh, the current situation in Venezuela um, he, here in the United States um, now over with Israel um, and as well as uh, mishandlings and misdeeds from a while back with within the Greek government. Um, Brazil, no, it, Rio, yeah, this yeah. All, all these. No, there, there is, there is destabilization as more and more wealth is being concentrated into the hands of a few who seek to garner more wealth and more power. 